when we stop our sinful scheming to meet our own needs, when we seek to make wise plans that reflect God's Word and then entrust ourselves to the Lord, He will take care of us and our future. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Was there ever a time that you made a plan and it completely fell through? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 15 of a series titled simply, Ruth. The last time we studied the Old Testament book of Ruth together, we began to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Today, Tom will examine the gloriously comforting truth of how this chapter reveals that God, in His providence, uses wise plans carried out in obedience to His Word to provide for those who seek refuge in Him. And as you'll discover today, sometimes plans that seem wild or outrageous according to human understanding and wisdom are exactly what God intended all along. Keep that in mind as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. Notice verse 7. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Once everyone was asleep, she went to where he was sleeping, and with stealth she uncovered his feet. Now what's going on here? We talked about this in the first part of chapter 3. Let me remind you. The Hebrew word that is translated feet here occurs in only one other place outside of this passage. It occurs in Daniel 10, verse 6. And there it refers to the lower limbs, limbs that include the feet, the legs, and the thighs. So essentially, she removed the blanket or the cloak that was shielding him from the cool air from the lower half of his body. And then she lay down nearby and waited for him to notice. Verse 8, it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. The middle of the night in Hebrew is literally at the half of the night. It's a figure of speech, but clearly around midnight, this story gets more interesting. Boaz apparently slept for some time after his legs were uncovered before something startled him. It's possible that something frightened him. Maybe he woke from a a nightmare or some other frightening experience. But the word for startled actually means to tremble. That time of the year, it was likely a warm spring evening. So apparently he had not noticed that his legs were uncovered until close to midnight. Around that time of night, at that elevation, the air begins to get quite cool. And so... What seems to be implicated here is that he trembled or he shivered because it was cold. That may have been the whole intention of uncovering the lower half of his body. The expression bent forward, as you can see from the marginal note in the NAS, means that he twisted himself. The only other place in Old Testament where this form of the Hebrew verb occurs is in Judges 16, where Samson takes hold of the pillars of the temple of Dagon. So it's possible that Boaz took hold of, or attempted to take hold of, 
his blanket or the cloak that was covering his legs. So you can, you can get the picture. He, he awakens. He's with a start in the middle of the night. He's cold. You've had this experience as I have. And he, and he twists himself and bends down to, to grab his cloak or blanket and pull it back over his legs. And there's a woman. Bad experience I've not had, except my wife. <laughs> Verse 8. Behold. I love that. Behold. A woman was lying at his feet. This is one of those funny biblical moments. It was definitely a behold moment. As Boaz turns to pull the covers over his feet and legs, he discovers that there's a woman lying by his legs. And so he does the only natural thing. Verse 9, he said, who are you? And she, you know... I love some of these stories because they just have that ring of reality to them and uh, there's a lot of humor in them as well. Who are you? She answered, I'm Ruth, your maid. Now Ruth here is still expressing her humility and she calls herself your maid. But here, interestingly, she uses a different Hebrew word for servant than she did back in chapter 2, verse 13. There, The word maidservant refers to the lowest slave. She's no longer using that word. Here in chapter 3, verse 9, she uses the Hebrew word ama. A person in this status was still a servant, but a servant that had all the privileges that came with belonging to an Israelite household. In fact, in Exodus 20, verse 10, even the Sabbath law covered this kind of slave. More importantly, more significantly, an ama could give birth to an heir. This very word is used of the woman who, who was given to Jacob, you remember, Bilhah, to have an heir in Genesis chapter 30. So she is not his equal. She's not saying she's his equal, but she's not the lowest slave anymore either. She's acknowledging just her humble state. Verse 9 goes on. She answered and said, I'm Ruth, your maid. I love this. So spread your covering over your maid. Now, that's probably not how you proposed to your spouse. But in ancient Israel, those words were clearly understood to mean that Ruth was asking Boaz to marry her. Let me show you one example. Turn over to Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel and chapter 16. Here is a chapter where God describes his relationship with Israel, with the northern tribes and with Judah, the southern tribes, as a marriage. Notice how he describes marriage in verse 8 of Ezekiel 16. God says, Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord. What I want you to see is even though this is a chapter that is figuratively describing our Lord's relationship with Judah and Israel as a marriage... When he comes to describe the, the, the marriage itself, he describes it as spreading his skirt over her. That language meant marriage. 
Now go back to Ruth. What was happening then here when, when Ruth says, spread your, your covering or your skirt over your maid, she was proposing marriage to Boaz. Now why? Why in this case did Ruth need to propose to Boaz? It wasn't because she was desperate. There were two specific reasons. One is that Boaz was significantly older than she was. In fact, as we saw, he may have actually been closer to the age of her father-in-law, Elimelech, than to her age. In other words, he may have been old enough to be her father. In addition, Ruth had apparently still been in official mourning over the loss of her husband. You can see that in even the language used in the early part of chapter 3, where where Naomi encourages Ruth, verse 3, to put on your best clothes. You can see that best is in italics. It's added by the translators. Literally, put on your clothes. It's, It's likely a reference, the word that's used is likely a reference to your everyday clothes, as opposed to the clothes for mourning that you've been in. It's time to end your mourning is likely what Naomi was telling her. So it would have been culturally inappropriate for Boaz to have made any overtures of romance or marriage during that time. So Ruth had to let her desires be known to him. The clear implication of this text is that while this was unusual, it was not completely unknown in their culture. Because notice verse 4, when you do this, Naomi says, he will tell you what you should do. He'll get it. He'll understand and he'll respond. Go back to verse 9. She answered and said, I am Ruth, your maid, so spread your covering over your maid. Marry me. And then she gives the reason. Four, because you are a close relative. Now, notice the important marginal note in the NAS at verse 9. A close relative is literally a redeemer. The Hebrew word is goel. It is sometimes translated kinsman redeemer. It is a technical term from Hebrew family law. It it really comes from the idea that close relatives have a special responsibility for their family members. Under Mosaic law, the goel had a general responsibility for the well-being of his relative. And in addition to that, he had specific responsibilities if a relative was in distress or crisis and was unable to help himself. Daniel Block identifies five different duties of the kinsman redeemer, the close relative, and we went through those last time. But two of those five duties of the goel are important here in Ruth. First of all, the goel was responsible to buy back land that a needy relative had sold under duress because of financial need. And they were to buy it back in order to ensure that that inherited land that land that had been stipulated by God as part of that tribe, that family's inheritance, never passed out of the family's control. The other responsibility, and by the way, you can see this, turn over to chapter 4, verse 3. 
We'll see this next time. Then he said, Boaz says to the the other close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. In other words, she needed the money from the family land. But it was the responsibility of the Goel to buy that land in order to make sure that it didn't pass out of the family. It stayed an inheritance of that family. The other responsibility that factors in here in Ruth is the Goel was responsible to marry the widow of a close relative who had died without children. Again, look at chapter 4, verse 5. Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Now, if you look in Deuteronomy at Leveret marriage, you discover, as we did, that Leveret marriage is not specifically tied to the role of the goel in the Old Testament law. However, clearly by the time of Ruth, it was considered part of the goel's responsibility to marry the widow, as we just saw there in verse 5. The goals then of Leveret marriage were to care for the widow, to preserve the family name, to ensure that property that had been allotted by God stayed within that family. Now, Naomi decided that however radical it may be, she and Ruth were going to follow the biblical model for how God had said they were to be cared for in Israel at that time. Now, there is an absolutely crucial lesson for us here. Although, obviously, the commands for leveret marriage are no longer binding on us today, we still face exactly the same temptations they faced. We find ourselves in the middle of trouble, difficulty, sometimes external to us, like the famine in the land, other times trouble that we've caused, and we're tempted to abandon what the Scripture clearly teaches us and to resort to our own wisdom, or even worse, to the wisdom of the world. We buy into what the culture says we ought to do. The message of Ruth 3 to us, listen carefully, is that when we stop our rebellion and turn to the Lord, when we stop our sinful scheming to meet our own needs, when we seek to make wise plans that reflect God's word and then entrust ourselves to the Lord, he will take care of us and our future. Now, if you had never heard the story of Ruth before, we would be sitting on the edge of our seats waiting to see how Boaz responds because this doesn't seem on the surface like a very good plan. It doesn't look like it's going to turn out very well. But what we learn is that God had prepared Boaz's heart for this moment. His response to her is just as remarkable as her proposal to him. Notice Boaz responds to Ruth's proposal in in four ways. First of all, in verse 10, he pronounces a blessing on Ruth. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men 
whether rich or whether poor or rich. Now, this is amazing at a number of levels. I have to confess, as a man, it is especially amazing that here is another man who awakened from a dead sleep at midnight and has the presence of mind to respond like that. That's not how I respond when I'm awakened at midnight. I'm still trying to figure out where I am and what's going on. Notice that what impressed Boaz most about Ruth's proposal of marriage was her motive. It was her motive. It was not based on mere physical attraction. It was not based on our own personal desires. It was not based on wealth. It was based on, notice, kindness. That's the Hebrew word hesed, steadfast love. Her loving loyalty, her steadfast love to Naomi, to her family. It would have been completely natural, certainly understandable, for Ruth to pursue marriage that would be solely to her advantage. She could have married, notice what Boaz says, she could have married for appearance, a young man. She could have married for romantic love, a poor man. That would be the only reason, right? (laughs) She could have married for wealth, a rich man. But clearly, while this marriage will in the end benefit her, Boaz recognizes that her choice of him is based far more on her hesed, on her steadfast love for the people in her life and for her God. When she asked him to marry her because he was the goel, Boaz understands that her motive is steadfast love. First and foremost, to God and what he had prescribed. And secondly, to Naomi because of her love for her. He praises her, pronounces a blessing on her. The second part of his response is he accepts. He accepts her proposal of marriage in verse 11. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Notice, first of all, he comforts her. One of the most common statements in Scripture to administer comfort, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Certainly, if you were Ruth at this point, you would have cause for fear. He says, don't be afraid. He then accepts her proposal directly. I will do for you whatever you ask. He he knows what she's asked. He then explains why, why he would consider such a seemingly inappropriate proposal. It was because of Ruth's character. All my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. In less than three months' time, all of those in Bethlehem had come to see Ruth as a woman of noble character. This is how the author, by the way, had described Boaz back in chapter 2, verse 1. Boaz was a man of, literally, a, a mighty man, a valiant man, a man of nobility, a man of excellence. The same word is used to describe the wife of excellence in Proverbs 31. You know, 
if I could encourage those of you who are not married, who are considering marriage, here's a really good reason to pursue a relationship with someone, not because of their appearance, not because of romantic notions often misguided of love, but because of their character. Do you respect that person? Can you follow their spiritual leadership? Daniel Block writes of this response to of Boaz to Ruth. Boaz could have treated her as Moabite trash, scavenging in the garbage cans of Israel. But with true hesed, true steadfast love of his own, he sees her as a woman equal in status and character to himself. You are a woman of noble character. Next, Boaz reveals a serious problem with her plan. Verse 12. I'm sure Boaz's response to this point must have filled her with joy. But what he says next, I'm sure made her heart skip a beat. Verse 12. Now, it is true. I am a redeemer. I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. It's true. He is a Goel, but, and this is absolutely huge, there is another relative who is closer to her. That means he would have had the first responsibility. It was his to decide. Still, in spite of this serious problem with her plan, the fourth part of his response in verses 13 to 15 is, is to reassure Ruth about her future. Look at verse 13. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. By the way, remain this night has absolutely no sexual overtones. In fact, it's the same expression the same word Ruth used in chapter 1, verse 16 of remaining with her mother-in-law. Now, if you read his response at a surface level, maybe some of you ladies read that and, and it sounds kind of cold. It's like, well, he wants to marry you, great. If he doesn't, I'll take you. That's not the idea at all. You can see that Boaz really wants to marry Ruth himself in three ways. First of all, his acceptance of her her offer, her proposal in verse 11. He's already accepted the offer. Secondly, his reassurance in verse 13 that he will redeem her if he has the chance to do so. And thirdly, you see how, how much this is his desire by his swearing the greatest oath that was available to the Jews. I will redeem you as Yahweh lives. You see his heart. You see his desire to do this. As truly and surely as our God is the one true and living God, I will marry you. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 15 of his series, Ruth. Tom will bring you part 16 next time, and we hope you'll join us then. 
Well, Tom, when we find ourselves in the middle of troubling circumstances, it can be tempting to abandon scriptural wisdom for our own, can't it? That is certainly a very real temptation. But you know, Naomi is such a wonderful example of someone who holds fast to her newly restored relationship with God. And unlike before, she's now determined to do things God's way and not her own. And it's so important for us to follow in her footsteps when we seek to make wise plans that reflect God's word and then entrust ourselves and that plan to the Lord. He will take care of us and he will provide for us as we look to the future. Friend, you can trust God because those who take refuge in him never find themselves disappointed. God is truly trustworthy. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Oh,